It was with awe that I beheld fresh leaves, green leaves, bright in the sun. Silent a while in a cave, I watched a waterfall for the first of the summer observances. Friends, welcome back to the Reiki Women podcast. My name is Michaela Daystar of Heartscapes Reiki and Bronwyn Logan of International House of Reiki and Carrie Varela of the Reiki Healing Society. And I are here to talk today about a topic that it just really stirs the heart. And that is the topic of the relationship between Reiki and poetry. And so we just opened with two poems from the Japanese poet Basho. And we're going to explore today in our conversation uh, the role that poetry has played in, ja in Japan, in Japanese history, and specifically in the uh, practice of the system of Reiki, how contemplation of poetic word, poetic verse can really stir things inside of us that support our Reiki practice and our, our experience as, as people. So we're really excited to have this conversation following on last week's conversation about beauty and creativity and the relationship between those experiences and our Reiki practices. So we're happy to have this conversation and we'd love to get started, Bronwyn, with you sharing a little bit of context about um, poetry in Japan and how we can relate to this topic in regard to our Reiki practice. Yeah. Thanks, Michaela. Well, yeah. uh, I know a little bit, not heaps, but hey, I will share what I do know. And uh, I interviewed um, Thomas McCauley from Sheffield University a while ago. I'll put the link with this um, um, podcast. And uh, he ha he writes, uh, he translates um, Waka. So Waka is Japanese poetry or Japanese song. And he's been doing it for uh, more than 20 years each week he sends an email out with these beautiful poems translated uh, so I, so he was the perfect person to ask about uh, what Wacker is and there's a little um, translation that he has from the ninth century which explains a little bit about the the poetry and I thought I'd read that out for you it says, poetry has its seed in the human heart and blossoms forth in innumerable leaves of words. It is poetry which, with only a part of its power, moves heaven and earth, pacifies unseen gods and demons, reconciles men and women, and calms the heart of savage warriors. I thought that's so beautiful. And it's in the preface to uh, a ninth century Japanese piece, which uh, this is actually the first description of waka, of Japanese poetry. And Japanese poetry was uh, created to give the Japanese their own form of poetry in contrast to the Chinese poetry, which had been very popular in Japan. So... Uh, there's lots of different sorts of waka and, uh, you know, there's long form, short form. The waka that we know within the system of Reiki, which is the waka that the Meiji emperor, so the emperor who was um, the emperor in Japan in the late 1800s, early 1900s, uh, that, that, that particular uh, poetry uh, that he wrote, uh, a lot of it is was used within the system of Reiki. So 
what we were actually just talking about before is that I, I wanted to look and see, you know, were there any women involved with this? Yes. And um, because it does seem to be quite a male uh, domain in Japan. And the good news is that the uh, Empress, so the Meiji Emperor's wife, um, Empress Shokan, also wrote many, many, many waka. And they're called tanka, the, the ones that the um, Emperor and the Empress wrote tanka. So they had a certain uh, certain number of syllables um, in the same way that many of us know haiku today and haiku also has a certain number of syllables and is also a form of waka, Japanese poetry. <laughs> When I first heard about the poetry in, in Reiki, I was really curious. And I read a book called Three Budo Masters by John Stevens. And he talks about it's the founders of Judo, Aikido and Karate. And uh, he talked about how they used to um, go out at night when there was a full moon and they would recite poetry to the moon and I thought wow that is so beautiful and it's just such a something that we wouldn't think is a very I don't know how to say that manly thing to do if you get what I'm saying right so it just seemed uh you know when we're I, I don't mean to genderize any of this but you know it does it has I think poetry um in this day and age is uh often not considered something that um you know, someone who's very uh, physically minded would would be would be necessarily doing. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I thought that was very beautiful, and then I could see that link in because those founders were also the peers of Mikao Yusui, the founder of the system of Reiki. So that that's really beautiful that uh, we could see why then Mikao Yusui was also using poetry and how that was something which was very respected and. Uh, yeah, it's quite beautiful looking at the different sorts of poems that um, that that which we will look at a little later today. Uh, the different poems that the uh, founder of the system did uh, incorporate into the system of Reiki and why. So I don't know, Dan. If you guys want to, have you got any thoughts on why there might be poetry within the system of Reiki? Yeah, well, I was, I was actually just going to ask you uh, that question, and uh, you know, <laughs> I use poetry. Um, I use poetry all the time in my teaching, uh, before I knew about this connection, um, to Waka. Um, and so, you know, it's been a natural evolution of incorporating poetry, uh, in deeper and deeper ways. And, and so, you know, I think when I think about the ways that I, uh, naturally gravitated to poetry in my teaching and think about, okay, what might the purpose have been then originally? Um, you know, I'm curious where those overlaps might be. Um, I've since, you know, learned a little bit about that, but there's so much, so much more depth that I, that I don't know. But for me, incorporating poetry into my teaching and into my personal practice is a way to um, begin to evoke the sorts of feelings and sensations and insights that we often struggle to put words to. Um, there's so many times in classes that I'll, I'll ask a question or I'll invite somebody to share uh, the, an experience that they've had with a practice. And they say, I just don't have the words. You know, I, I can't find the white where the right words to express what I just experienced. And, you know, observing that um, over time, that that was very common. I've, I've incorporated, you know, 
inviting people to make gestures or to use song or to use images, you know, to release our reliance on verbally describing things. And oftentimes poetry can be a way of, of opening up those spaces that are less linear, that are less like fixed to a specific meaning. I mean, English in particular is so good at describing things precisely, right? It's such a linear language. It's such a precise language. It's so good at, at talking about the details and, and making sure things are, are very accurate. Um, and that's very useful. However, there's limitations in that. Um, Japanese, for example, is a much more metaphoric language, a much more um, nonlinear language, much less fixed definition on this word means exactly, precisely this definition. And so even using poetry written in English, we can start unlocking a little bit of that um, fluidity, a little bit of, of that access to those intangible things that are so difficult for us to describe in words. And then, of course, it brings in the presence of beauty. And as we talked about last week, you know, beauty is something that we naturally gravitate towards. We naturally uh, look for to help us define our experience. And it's naturally soothing and, and healing to us to be in the presence of something that we perceive as beautiful. And so it's, you know, another way of layering in beauty. Yeah, that symmetry as well, isn't it? That, that symmetry of so many syllables is that it's it that gives a type of beauty as well doesn't it it's something we can sit into and it that structure makes you have to work harder to create yep yep yeah so carrie i'd love to hear for you like what's your relationship with poetry and if it's something that's come into your practice at all and, and then maybe we can tease out some of these like original uses of, of poetry which was a very specific um tool that was that was used by Mikao Usui in, in developing the system of Reiki. So what comes up for you, Carrie? Yeah, um, well, I think that this is just a fascinating topic. I'm kind of more of a fly on the wall in terms of, you know, my usage of poetry or bringing poetry or my own poetry into my practice, particularly with Reiki. But I would say that yoga has allowed me to kind of weave in some of the the beauty of words that you describe. And it's really taught me a lot about our attention span as humans, you know, especially um, in a yoga class, if, if I read a, a poem to you, you know, like there's only so much that actually goes in, you know, <laughs> I think. I mean, some people can be really present and like receptive of it. Um, but like what I like about a waka po poem and what I've used in the past that's been really effective is just like one or two lines of um, particularly the yoga sutras or another source, um, you know, that felt meaningful in the moment. I'm trying to think of some, but that were just really short. And um, if you're familiar with um, the idea of a sutra, so the sutra is like a thread a thread of a teaching or thread of a thought. And so um, to, to use those things as a tool to unite, you know, unite the mind, the body, the heart uh, around a topic. And so if you can give somebody like this drop of knowledge, that's like two lines, three lines, you know, really simple and straightforward, but yeah, it can really flavor like the whole like meditative quality of the practice. 
And um, so, so those are kind of sometimes my uses. Sometimes I'll offer a, a poem in Shavasana while people have just, you know, moved their body and they feel like really open. I think that that also is a really beautiful offering. Um, but yeah, and I just, I'm really fascinated to learn a little bit more about Waka poetry. And um, I recently took Okuden, the Okuden training, and it was just so lovely, you know, <laughs> to incorporate um, the Waka poem uh, um, that's included in the manual that I was using. And Bronwyn, maybe you can talk more. I have it right here in front of me, but I don't want to turn away from our conversation. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I, you know, I just, just, I love what you were saying about the thread. Um, that's so beautiful, isn't it? Oh gosh, there's so many. I mean, that is actually the joy of of um, us being able to speak words. Is sometimes the words are just so succinct, so they really, you know, they they are they are perfect, and uh, that that just seems like such a perfect word for just pulling everything together. You know, that thread. And uh, I thought that was really beautiful. Um, I just uh, going back to that uh, little bit that I read before from the ninth century, I thought it was also interesting. We were just talking about how things integrated. Uh, you know, we were talking about um, non-duality. And, and um, so, you know, here in that piece, it's actually talking about dual elements, so it's talking about gods and demons, men and women, um, heaven and earth. So these dual elements and how poetry um, brings these things into, into play and together, you know. So how we use poetry to, to blend and that's really you know, when we talk about the system of Reiki, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to um, move from a, a non-dual space, you know, and uh, or from a dual space. I always get those words mixed up. I'm so sorry. It's a bit like left and right. I never know what's left and right. I have to really think about it. So if you hear me saying dual and non-dual in the wrong way, you'll know why. Uh, but you get the meaning. And uh, so <laughs> that's my brain doing its own little weird thing. But it, yeah, it's just bringing together elements. And that's what we do with everything that we do within the system of Reiki to try to blend everything so that we have this sense of living in a complete whole space. And uh, yeah, I thought that's, you know, we can really see how how that might correlate through. So using the wacker, using the poetry as a way of um, not just observing because I think there is an element of observation about poetry it's like oh that's what that means but a way of embodying a thought or a, you know a feeling an understanding and uh, so yeah really getting something that someone is saying and so within the system of Reiki uh, we have used in the past um poetry as you know as we were all saying so the poetry of the Meiji Emperor and I think possibly of I reckon probably the uh, the Empress's poetry was in there too it may just not be acknowledged as the Empress's poetry could possibly be right who knows I mean uh, you don't often see I think 
necessarily that sort of work um, published. And it always seems to be the emperor that they talk about. And yet she also wrote so many um, wacker herself. So who knows? But um, uh, the uh, there is a student of um, Mikao Usui called Kaji Tomita. And Kaji Tomita wrote um, a book and about hands-on healing and meditation practice. So it's his take on the system of Reiki. Yeah. And he, in it, he has a practice, which is a variation of what we know as Hatsureho. And so Hatsureho is a blending of a, a couple of practices together, you know, um, and uh, within the system of Reiki, we call it Hatsureho. He also calls it Hatsureho. It's just slightly different. And uh, he, we use, we, we practice Joshin Kokyoho, and uh, which is, you know, focusing the mind with the breath technique uh, of breathing down into the hara and then expanding that energy. He does it slightly differently. So he, um, his focus, instead of uh, focusing completely on just the hara, he focuses, he gives the mind something to focus on, and that is one of the emperor's poems and yeah go ahead no no go I just I I feel kind of tickled to to hear that description of that modification of Josh and Kokyoho because Mm. the um as I was sharing earlier uh I led a 21 day practice focusing on poetry and Reiki and Carrie um provided a poem for for one of those sessions which was really beautiful um I'll put a link to that those videos down below um, in our notes. But when I was trying to conceive of, you know, how to do this, how to how to bring Reiki in, not having a direct source like that that explained, you know, specifically how poetry was used inside the system. I knew that it was, but not specifically. Um, essentially, that's kind of how I conceived it was leading mm-hmm. us into a Josh and Kokyoho practice. And then once we're, you know, in that state of focusing our mind on the hara and envisioning that bright light it was bringing the poem into that space and allowing the poem to expand along with that light at our center to fill us and surround us yeah and so it was like drawing the poem in and then uh filling ourselves with it surrounding ourselves with it and allowing the imagery inside of the poem to, to kind of work on us so um i love hearing that more um you know, more contemporaneous description of how poetry would have been used originally inside the system. Yeah, actually, um, Carrie, I'd love to hear the poem. Yeah, I loved doing that that practice because uh, you know partnering with so many other folks, I got to be exposed to so many different poems that I'd never heard before. Um, you know, I have quite a few po- books of poetry, but there, it's such a vast genre, right? There's just yeah. so many, um, and the one that you brought, Carrie, was one of my favorites. So I love that you brought it. Okay, so I'll I'll share that one then. Um, let me see. Oh, oops. hold on. Okay, so this comes from Maria Sabina. She is a Mexican healer and poet. Heal yourself with the light of the sun and the rays of the moon, with the sound of the river and the waterfall, with the swaying of the sea and the fluttering of birds. Heal yourself with mint, neem, and eucalyptus. 
sweeten with lavender, rosemary, and chamomile. Hug yourself with the cocoa bean and a hint of cinnamon. Put love in tea instead of sugar and drink it looking at the stars. Heal yourself with the kisses that the wind gives you and the hugs of the rain. Stand strong with your bare feet on the ground and with everything that comes from it. Be smarter every day by listening to your intuition, looking at the world with your forehead, jump, dance, sing, so that you can live happier. Heal yourself with beautiful love and always remember that you are the medicine. I don't know, there's something it is so, so true about um, poetry that can really cut through, right? Like cut through the resistance sometimes. And I feel like I see that sometimes when trying to maybe describe Reiki to somebody else, or I even see it with yoga, is that sometimes we walk into healing spaces and we got our traumas on, you know, we got our boundaries up, we've got our ego there. And so my challenge as a practitioner, I think of it, and also as a yoga teacher, is how do I disarm people's egos? Hmm. And one of those ways, I mean, this is just such a beautiful, profound tool, right? Because it, it just hmm. kind of cuts through all of that garbage and, and brings us and evokes inside of us a really beautiful, emotional, spiritual message. Hmm. And um, sometimes, you know, we can like look at the same poem, you know, and be in this kind of maybe closed down place and none of it resonates. <laughs> but, but if we can, you know, be in the right place when we're receptive to it, it's like, I think of the words that, you know, that poetry inspires in me. It's, it has this beautiful resonance with the na nature connection, um, but also, you know, the importance of healing ourselves. Like, what I love about that poem too, it doesn't speak to like anyone else healing you. It's really coming back into yourself and, and feeling healed and loved by the earth, um, which I think is a unique perspective. But um, what was I going to say about that? You know, can I just say, it's something that I love about it, that, that it's really uh, affected you and your teachings because you use the words, you know, uh, such and such, that's our medicine. You know, like you use that a lot. And I love, I've always loved that. And I thought, where does, where does that come from? Now I know where it comes from, right? Yeah. I think that's where it comes from. Am I right? It's some part of it, yeah. I mean, yeah. I think it's more, you know, uh, I think it's more common maybe in my generation, maybe a little bit more in my generation below me was more like music is medicine. Oh, really? You know, okay. Everything okay. is medicine. And, you know, um, but it's, 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 it's a profound way of looking at things, you know, mm. because I think we often look to something that might heal us and not, I don't know, not be open to other, other avenues, let's say. Yeah. Um, one of my trains of thought that I came back to was, is how in one word or even in a series of words, a short sentence is that it has this almost spiritual and emotional energy attached to it. Mm -hmm. So we could say something like medicine or you are the medicine or mm -hmm. compassion. And, and within that, um, 
I think it speaks to our oneness, you know, it's like, so compassion might, might be different to Michaela, might be different to Bronwyn, might be different to any of you listening, but it has this kind of emotional, spiritual, energetic quality. And that it's, it's in that place where we are really sharing the space and sharing, awesome. sharing the energy. Yeah. You know, it's like, finding those places of, of interconnection, right? Where, where a word or an image will invoke something that feels the same, right? That feels connected. And I, it really stands out to me, you know, I mean, that poem very specifically draws on images of nature and our relationship, like very explicitly names our relationship with nature as one of healing and love. And, you know, we see that to a, in a different way in a lot of Waka poetry where, where many of them, I mean, certainly the majority of the ones that I've read are um, describing nature, describing observable natural phenomenon and describing the feelings that are evoked from being yeah. in relationship with nature. And that, you know, so specifically, you know, represents and draws on the foundation, the, the Shinto foundations of this practice and, you know, reminds us that a huge part of the, you know, the, the, conceptualization, the methodology, the, um, you know, the, the actual direct experience, and then also the metaphoric experience that we see in the system of Reiki is explicitly tied to our relationship to nature, that it's, it's both metaphoric, but it's also direct experience, um, you know, that really we're being invited to come out of the intellectual sphere, to come out of the space mm -hmm. of spirituality as a practice of the intellect alone and to step into direct experience with the natural world. And so we have these brief, I loved Carrie that you talked about the, the, the power of brevity, you know, when things are short, um, how they can really work on us in a different way than when things are longer. You know, we have these very brief, very direct, simple, clear descriptions of a moment in nature, like the two poems that I opened with this just this moment of observing something in the natural world. And then you sit there and you contemplate that and you notice what happens inside when you remember a moment that you might've had that's like that, a connection that you had with the color green, with the leaves, with the waterfall, noticing that the season was turning from one to the next. And it really, you know, it, it draws on something universal inside of us and, you know, connected to the poem that you just shared, Carrie, it draws on our innate, capacity to heal and that that is not just inside of us and it's not just outside of us it is that uh alchemy of the spaces between um inside of us and the world around and so i just i love that so much of that can get communicated in such a simple short beautiful moment that is evoked in a poem as a proud parent, I would like to uh, read my child's poem. <laughs> Which, uh, I love that they wrote you. <laughs> this is from many years ago, but it's, it's exactly what you were talking about. The fact that, um, you know, if we're given structure and, and something, a snapshot of something, this is a snapshot of something, and that's why I love it. And uh, I actually have this uh, on my wall in the kitchen. I love it. And um, so my child, because I've always loved cooking, right? So that's what this is about. So it works with the kitchen theme. And um, uh, it goes, 
My mum starts singing. She's talking about dinner. She says, delicious. Aww. I love it. And, you know, well, if you knew me cooking, I do like to sort of sing a little bit and a bit, you know, so it's just sort of like everything blended together and that thing of when you're tasting things and it's like, oh, yeah, that it's going to be delicious. It's just got that whole feel for me of that warm space and, uh, you know, having that structure because that's the haiku structure. So what is it? It's 575, isn't it? Five seven, five syllables. And, uh, you know, it's really tight and, but you can say so much in such a small space. And I think that's, that's really special. The, um, tanka of, um, uh, of the Meiji emperor were actually a little longer and I, I've got here the actual syllables cause it is a longer thing. So, um, it's five syllables, seven, five and then seven seven so it's sort of broken up into two sections so they are a little bit longer than um than the haiku which are more popular um today and i know that when people start writing poetry in this way they can really get into it and you can and they write and they write and they write and which is fascinating because you think it would be a a an incredible challenge to have to do that but there's something in us that loves that symmetry and and uh yeah it is the beauty of uh of uh writing and expressing ourselves in a very structured structured way it gives some sense of i don't know what is that it's like a um it makes us feel orderly you know and you know how it, it releases anxiety it's it it brings patterns isn't it it's about patterns exactly yeah we talked about that last week about the the way in which a structure like a pattern like a set of instructions um, like a syllabic form like five seven five seven seven um, gives us that firmness that container that then we can you know, spin out so much creativity yeah. and fluid, fluidity because we're being held. And so, you know, as you said, you mm -hmm. would think that it would be difficult to like stay inside such a rigid structure. However, once you feel that rhythm in your body, right? Once you get the pattern of five, seven, five, seven, seven, it just happens, right? Like you just feel the rhythm of the words. And, you know, our mind is so good at casting out and finding what we need. And, you know, our language is so vast, there's always a word that's going to fit in, you know, and then you get these wonderfully creative ways of expressing something, you know, partly because of being bound by a structure, right? I need a word that's three syllables here. And so I'm going to bring something else in. And then, you know, different metaphors can happen. I loved the last line of your child's poem that said, um, and she says delicious, something yeah. like that. Yeah. And, you know, to me, it was like, you know, you could take that literally, you said the word delicious, dinner's going to be delicious. But to me, I heard like, the, the, the sounds and the smells of your cooking, yeah. like spoke delicious, right? So it's like, even in that simple thing, you get this blending, right? This non-duality of all of the senses working together to communicate Absolutely. something. It's not yeah. just the speech, it's not just the scent. It's like all of it comes together and says, oh, this, this feels like home. This feels like my mother. This feels like delicious, mm. you know? Mm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, very beautiful. 
love it. And I can totally see you, Bronwyn, as like this fairy in the kitchen, like coming <laughs> food and like blessing. You cannot follow a recipe book, has to create their own creation, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, you're probably not as much of a baker then if you don't want to follow recipes. Uh, I could be a bad baker. I'm not very good at bread, <laughs> put it that way. <laughs> Baking is much more precise and recipe dependent. <laughs> oh, well, I think we should finish off with um, a little uh, meditation that we were talking about earlier. Let's do some Joshin Ho, according to Kaji Tamita. And using, there's one poem that um, we've, you know, often used with that, which is one of the Emperor's poems. And uh, I'm going to do that all for you right now so if you'd just like to get yourself nice and balanced feeling calm and relaxed get your feet to the ground feel those shoulders relax and just to begin with let's just bring our hands up into the um, gusso position just to set our intention for the practice we're going to practice Joshin Ho within the form of Hatsareho by Kajitamita. And when you're ready, bringing your hands down and placing them on your thighs. Taking some lovely breaths down into the belly. That deep belly, below your belly button, into the hara. Don't force it, just let it naturally flow down. And fill you up and then release. So this is a mind purification method. And we purify the mind by giving it something to focus upon, something beautiful. So focus on the breath. For the moment, as you feel that lovely grounding, connecting through to the earth. You feel your back lengthening, your neck open and wide. You feel your mind moving up into the sky. And that beautiful blending of the earth and the heavens occurs. And it beams from the heart center of the body. As we feel in touch with ourselves in our completeness, our wholeness, in our healing. And the poem is As a great sky in clear 
light green. I wish my heart would be as vast. as a great sky in clear light green. I wish my heart would be as vast. Breathing in the energy of the poem, breathing out the energy of the poem. And coming back, just bringing your hands back up into Gusso to give thanks. And in Kaji Tamita's words, he says that this poem or reciting poetry in meditation helps to create what he calls reha, which is this wave of ray, this wave of spiritual energy in the body. And uh, he says that if we do this practice for five consecutive days and concentrate for at least 30 minutes, and building that up to an hour throughout that time, that we will definitely uh, experience that sensation of spiritual energy in the body. So there's a challenge. Until next time. <laughs> so who among you out there in the listening world would like to take on this challenge of doing this practice that Bronwyn, you just beautifully led us through of taking at least a half an hour a day for a week, you said? One five week? days. Five days, at least a half hour a day, building up to an hour for five days of resting your mind, focusing your mind on a poem, a simple, beautiful poem, perhaps the one that Bronwyn shared, perhaps another that speaks to you. Take on that challenge and let us know how it goes. Let us know what happens, what experiences come forward. And perhaps there won't be words that you can share that accurately describe that experience. Maybe you'll actually need to put it into a poem or into a dance or into a gesture or some other beautiful, creative way of communicating what you experience when you rest your mind on something beautiful. So we challenge you to do that. We want to hear how it goes. Perhaps I will take on this challenge and report Me back. <laughs> and until next week, 
beautiful friends. Have a wonderful, wonderful week and a grand adventure in wherever it leads you. Yeah. Thank you so much for being with us on Reiki Women Podcast. And we will see you and hear you next week. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye.